Welcome to SocialCast, your go-to place to learn about marketing, the latest social media news and insights. Brought to you by Social Bakers. Hi everyone, welcome to the next uh, podcast episode from Social Bakers. On this episode, we are joined by Omri, our SVP of marketing at Social Bakers. Omri has done marketing for many, many years and he has a huge interest in psychology and he connects the two really well to achieve really good results. I think this podcast episode is going to be really interesting if you work in marketing. So without further ado, let's dive in. It's really nice to be speaking to you on this podcast again. Uh, this time I know we're speaking about a topic that you really, really love, you're passionate about it, and uh, it's always really insightful to talk about it with you, marketing psychology. Yeah, glad uh, to be here. <laughs> maybe, could you give us a little bit about uh, your journey in marketing and your journey in psychology and how did the two glue together? Well, my journey in psychology actually started when I was very young. I always had this fascination with uh, people and what makes them tick. I think at some point I wanted to become a psychologist when I was a kid, which is a kind of a weird profession uh, to want to be when you're a kid. Um, I come from a very multicultural country and also I moved a lot, so understanding people dynamics and social dynamics and observing the differences between cultures and different people um, was always a fascination and I always wanted to understand what makes us tick. And so that was a big fascination for me th since I was a kid and uh, became a bit more focused when I was an adult. As for my marketing journey, and it goes kind of hand by hand, I was uh, 14 years ago, wow, 14 years ago. Uh, I was actually, I, I never meant to get into specifically marketing. I was actually, I had a dream to live abroad and was looking for a way to how, how can I, on one hand, earn money, on the other hand, uh, move from place to place and travel. Uh, and looked at the computer and figured out that, wow, I have access to the whole world through, uh, through my desktop and laptop. And uh, was, discovered an area called affiliate marketing back then, which was very hot. And um, the idea was you promote other people's products uh, through different techniques over the web and you can earn a commission. I was working for a few years in sales back then, so it kind of seemed like a good fit. And so I started, I didn't have much money back then, so I couldn't pay anyone to do it. So I started studying um, everything I could about online marketing and how you can get to people was a bit of a different scene back then, uh, especially in search engine optimization, where you could get away with uh, a bit more uh, black hat and, and different tricks. So that's where I started my journey. Uh, I learned everything I could from how to build a website, how to do SEO, how to do paid, Google advertising, how to write copy, psychology of influence, which I had already been uh, pretty much into, and it all started kind of clicking into place. I started having some good success. And uh, even though I didn't move abroad, I started uh, working with a lot of different companies and businesses, um, consulting and doing freelance work from building websites, from optimizing their web, 
uh, for SEO, from doing copy, from writing articles, social media, everything. So I really started getting a lot of experience in a lot of different fields. Now, when you're jumping from field to field, because one of your clients is from IT or the other one's an artist, uh, you have to start understanding the commonalities of humans and how you can approach them, but also how to understand the different audiences and how to tailor the messages and what makes people tick. So I got into a lot of different fields that I studied for many years from neuro-linguistic programming, conversational hypnosis, uh, evolutionary psychology, which I'm a big fan of, and uh, anything I could actually find that taught me uh, something or gave me a nugget to understand. I, and I always took what I learned back then and applied it to what I was doing and what worked I kept and turned into a methodology and what didn't I just scraped outside. Um, eight years ago I was asked to join a very small startup back then. It was called WalkMe. It was an exciting product and um, I started working in the marketing there with a few very talented people and of course the president of the company which we've been working for years and we for the six years that I was there built a huge machine um, starting from really few people when I left we were around almost 700 people um, it was I think 200 million dollars in investment company became a unicorn valued in one billion dollars and this was a company that was very this is a company that's very marketing led very inbound led mm -hmm. um, we had were the almost biggest advertiser on LinkedIn we really took B2B uh, into online which it didn't used to be now it's more standardized and, and more companies do it but back then not many companies for instance were advertising on Facebook and getting results so it was really a great journey. Uh, before I left, uh, I was managing both the demand generation area and the sales development. And then I decided I needed a change and had an opportunity to live my dream of uh, moving abroad and uh, met and was of and joined Social Bakers here in Prague. Uh, fell in love with the product, fell in love with the company. And uh, I've been here ever since for a year and a half, and it's been an amazing journey. So yeah, uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think you already kind of hinted that the, the longer you work in marketing, the more important psychology becomes in marketing. Uh, but uh, perhaps you could expand. Why is it so important at this specific moment? Uh, why should marketers uh, really think about merging uh, the two? So eventually, the business of marketing is the business of people, and it's the business of persuasion, and it's getting people to take the actions you want and attracting them to your product. I think today's marketing, you have two elements to it. One is the ever-changing, fast-paced technology, which means every year everything starts to change. Uh, the methodologies we use, the platforms that are popular, uh, what you did five years ago is not relevant today. But when it comes to human beings, we haven't changed much in the last 100,000 years. So if you can understand the core of what mo motivates people, how to build the right message, um, what makes them tick, you can really, it's just timeless and it always works. And you can take it from place to place, job to job, um, campaign to campaign, and really get the right effect. And it's amazing because when you use the right techniques, um, and you really understand 
how to influence action, you can really see huge results. And I see a lot of marketers that are amazing technicians, I would say. They know how to do everything, but they don't get people. And if you don't get people, you just can't succeed. Uh, on the other hand, I know many, many marketers and business people who understand people and what make them tick, but aren't necessarily up to date on the latest technology. And usually you can see that they succeed. So I think the psychology part is the critical part, is the part you can trust and build on while you stay updated all the time on what's going on on the technical realm. Right, and especially with the technical realm really growing rapidly in the recent years, you're totally right. We see marketers really focused there as opposed to getting to know the people. Yeah, it's nice to see though that it has become more popular. You see more content about marketing psychology, about influence, it's becoming more standardized, it's starting to be taught more in schools. I remember in the past it was, you just had to look so hard to find good materials or there was one book but you could never really go in depth. So it's really nice to see that it's become the norm right now and, and it's not only about these technical changes and how you do it. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Well, if we look at the customers, uh, why is it so important to consider this now and, and this day and age? Well, this day and age, I read a study a few months ago that the average person is exposed to over 5,000 ads a day, which is crazy. I often ask when I speak uh, for people to raise their hand if they can remember 10 advertising pieces they saw today from the moment they woke up until they came to the talk and rarely does anyone remember anything. I can't. Yeah, me neither. Um, there are some that stick out and there's a way to make sure that it does. And successful businesses have to stand out from the crowd. Now it's not only having a great product because if you have a great product and no one knows about it, it doesn't matter. So you need to have a great product and you have to have the ability to cut through the noise and have people notice it. And then once you have people noticing it, you have to have a good message that causes them to actually want to either purchase or use your product. So it's very critical in this day and age because it's not anymore, uh, businesses don't focus on, uh, you know, street, traffic you know right. in the past you'd have a shop if there was good street traffic and it was relevant to the people around you'd succeed or you'd advertise in local papers and so on but today it's a global game and it's very saturated in most markets and unless you're dealing in an area where there's no players and when there's no players usually there's not much money um, then you have to stand out and to do that you have to be smart about the way you market and it's beyond just saying I'm amazing because no one really cares about that. Yeah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> but uh, let's dive deep into this topic. So this is where it gets really interesting. So uh, what are some of the factors that you should um, consider when you are a marketer and thinking about uh, psychology? That's a very broad question. <laughs> it's broad, but I think we'll get deeper and deeper into it. I think the most basic area I would focus on in the beginning is to understand the wiring, how humans are actually wired, how our decision-making process is actually made, and what influences it. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, humans, unlike other animals, have 
an area in the brain called the neocortex, which is a relatively new area, which allows us for conscious thinking and uh, logical thinking and decision-making. Now, we all assume, because that's the 10% we're aware of, and that's the voice in our head that we constantly hear, that that's what's driving our decision-making. Well, actually, it really isn't. So, marketers need to learn what is the actual process of decision-making, and then they can actually bypass the areas that aren't relevant. So, just as an example, if we're talking right now about the mechanism of the brain, there's a great model of looking at the human brain that separates it into three separate brains. The first brain is the brain that we as humans share with reptiles, and all mammals share with reptiles, which is actually, it's called the reptilian brain, which is technically our most basic function mm -hmm. of survival, which means for a reptile, reptiles don't have logical thinking, they're not emotional, but they are prone to survive. And the four mechanisms of survival that we share in common are, first of all, to eat, which makes sense. Second, to reproduce, which again, if you don't reproduce, you won't have, your species won't uh, go on. And flight or fight, which are the ways we handle nature, right? This layer is our most basic layer. And if you look around, you'll see that most of the, the biggest industries in the world are based on these four factors. So just to give an example, very simple, the food industry ties to our survival. Yes, we don't eat only what we need. We've evolved beyond that, but that's a huge industry with a lot of choice. And if we don't eat, we die. So it caters to that area. Now, if, you, if you've ever felt hunger, you know, there's, uh, you know people are hangry. They get ang I know I get angry when I'm hungry. It's not a controllable thing. It's not that you're sitting um, and you're saying, hey, I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna get angry right now. No, you first get angry. You might not even realize you're hungry. That happens to me. But your whole mood and state starts changing versus that. So that's a very primal need. Second example is uh, reproduction. Reproduction can be tied to a few industries. One very obvious one is the porn industry. Mm. Uh, whether you like it or not, it's tied to a very primal need in human beings. And it's a huge, huge industry. A less obvious one, by the way, is the co cosmetics industry. Mm. What reason is there for a woman or man to paint their face or make themselves look better? Eventually, it ties down to reproduction needs. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same as a peacock and how he shows his feathers in order to attract the right mate. So, again, cosmetics, huge industry. Isn't directly correlated, you can't see it directly, but it's tied there. And there are many other industries like that. Fight, our need to fight. Military industries are one of the biggest industries in the world, right? Um, don't even need to expand on that. Um, flight is our defense. Um, after 9-11, the, the average spend on security systems and burglar systems and whatever jumped immensely. That's our need to flight. 
So these basic needs are, are critical and if you can understand them and if you can, for instance, tie your message to them, it's actual, or your product to them, you actually have a big chance of succeeding here because you're touching something very primal. Yeah. Above that layer, we have the mammalian brain, which is the brain we have in common with other mammals. And this is the emotional brain. Now, it's interesting to see that people think that the decisions they make come from a logical place. But actually, the emotional ground on which we work on dictates our decisions. By the way, I saw there was a study, I don't remember the source, but um, that our conscious decision-making comes six seconds, this is from brain research, yeah. six seconds after our brain actually decided to take a certain action, which is a very long time, which begs to the question, is this logical system actually what's dictating what we're doing? So I would say from my experience also, um, emotions dictate decisions while logic justifies the decision usually. So usually if we want, I don't know, we decide to buy something, even if we're investing a lot of thought in it, the emotion behind it is what's moving us towards it. It's the same reason why when you're angry, you don't have peaceful thoughts. Your state, your emotional state dictates the access your brain has to certain types of thinking. And the last part is the neocortex, as I said, which has an interesting thing to it, which is called the critical factor. Critical factor means our ability to make decisions based on data and presenting different sides. Now, a lot of companies and a lot of marketers work on that level and they focus more on convincing or talking features or, or arguing. And yeah, you can in a way influence that, but if you can influence the emotion before that, then you're bypassing the critical factor much easily. And the guard's lower because when the guards are up, you can't convince anyone to do anything. It's kind of like if, you're, if you've ever walked in a shopping mall and a salesperson jumps on you and starts trying to sell to you, uh, your guards go up, you don't want to listen, it doesn't matter. But if a friend tells you about the same product and you're talking together and you trust this person and your guards are down and he gets you excited, you're gonna buy it. Same product, two different approaches. So we as marketers need to create that environment that not only focuses on logical aspects, but also touches those more subconscious primal areas uh, of the human psyche and the way we function. Yeah, and uh, I suppose this is uh, valid for every industry. I know you mentioned just a few, but this kind of basic principles, they work across they work each. Across. Yeah. Yeah, this, this last uh, rational bit, it reminds me of uh, sort of how computer advertisement used to be just listing every single parameter of a laptop or something. I think we're moving away from that. Exactly. It's the difference between selling an air conditioner and talking about the horsepower versus talking about the experience a person would feel from implementing the air conditioner. Same thing with computers. And in computer... In computers, it worked because a lot of people that deal with, dealt with computers back in the day were more technical. Plus, that's, that was what everyone was doing. But the best example today is Apple. Yeah. 
Apple never focused on specs, really. They focused on the experience, uh, the brand connection, you know, and, and, and that's an emotional connection. That's a bit the same as people tattooing Harley Davidson on their hand. That's a brand. But people connect it on an emotional level because it symbolizes their lifestyle. And that's not a logical thing because, again, if you think about it logically, you're tattooing the name of a company on your hand. This company makes money. It sells a product. But for people, it's more than that. It's, actually, yeah. it's an emotional connection. It's who they are in their perception. So that's how you, that's the way it's going. And that's how companies should focus and do it. More like Apple, less about the specs. Right. Uh, you briefly mentioned that uh, you know when you're approached by a salesperson in a let's say a, a shopping mall, you sort of build a wall. But if you're approached by a friend, it's a different uh, experience. And I guess this has a bit to do with the rapport that you build with your customers. Uh, can you explain this uh, idea of, of building rapport and how you go about it in yeah. more detail? Rapport is is used a lot in sales circles to discuss it. Rapport is Actually, the rapport is our innate trust in people who are like us, okay? Let's go to the past 150,000 years ago. Human beings were living in tribes of 12 people. Everything about survival had to do with the pack. If you were shunned from the pack, you would probably die. It's a bit different from today that a lot of people live in isolation, but also there were threats from other tribes. So innately, for us to survive, we must find people that we trust. We trust people that are like us, which by the way, constitutes for why we have so many issues in the world and why we have issues with other cultures. But So people that are like us, it creates trust, it lowers the guards. That's rapport. Now, rapport can be engineered in a way, and that's what salespeople often focus on because eventually for us it's a game of value, whether we want to admit it or not. Life is a game of value for our survival, meaning usually the people we hang around with, the actions we take have value towards our lives. It's great when it's a symbiotic relationship when both sides get value, but it's always a game of value. Just as an example, why do people like to hang around celebrities? Celebrities high, have high social value. So by me being in proxy with a celebrity and being his friend or confidant, my value rises. Why do people shun or dislike homeless people? Because they perceive that they are taking value from them. They are asking for money. They are lowering your chance for a survival. And that's the mechanisms that we work with. By the way, that's very why it's so important for companies to show people what the value is for them, not what the company is or the value of the company. So we have that factor of value and we have the factor of trust. There's a great saying that says people hate to be sold to, love to buy. And that's true. People hate to be sold to because sales is perceived as taking value. This person is trying to take my money away from me. Unlike when you trust someone and he's recommending something, 
then you see the added value coming. So rapport is really about creating this air of I am like you, I understand you, we are the same. And if you can create that before you jump into the sale, or whether it's marketing, not just direct sales from people. Who do you follow these days? Why do people love influencers so much? Influencers don't push, well, they do push products and it's becoming more and more apparent. But the influencers, for instance, that I trust usually are from a field that I enjoy. For instance, uh, I love playing guitar and I follow some influencers on YouTube who teach guitar and they recommend products also, but I trust them. I, 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 they are like me. They're showing me how to become better. They're adding value and they're using something and trust it. So I would purchase it. So again, it's about I am like you. We share the same interests and I can provide value. Yeah, uh, that was a really um, great answer. I think it also, uh, I learned that uh, I terribly mispronounced rapport. No. So, <laughs> that's forever on the internet now. But uh, uh, And yeah, influencers, it's, it just explains the entire trend. Uh, and I think uh, as marketers, we don't tend to look uh, far back into history and understand where this actually came from. And it, it makes perfect sense, of course. It makes perfect sense. And it's something you can learn, which is amazing. The, the, it's out there. The whole information is out there. Sometimes people listen to this and they're, they're almost spooked out. But, yeah. but it's becoming more standardized. And just as a side note, there's always the question, is this moral? Is this right? Is this correct? Because eventually, this is manipulation when we talk about these things. But manipulation is not not good or bad in and of itself. It's real, it really depends on how you use it. So, so just as an example, if you use these techniques to promote health in people or assist people in quitting smoking, is that a wrong thing? Not necessarily. So it's just the way it is. It's the mechanism itself. How you use it, that's up to you. I prefer to use it in things that I believe and that are positive. By the way, when you believe in something, it automatically creates this air of rapport towards that product, towards people. If you've ever heard someone talk about something that he loves excitedly, you get excited as well. Uh, that has to do with uh, priming. We can talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> another question. Uh, yeah, so we'll get to priming and maybe um, other things. I just uh, this reminds me of. Uh, uh, we recently had Brian Salas on a uh, podcast, and he talks about this, uh, what you just said, that, uh, yeah, you can use these tactics to manipulate, but you can also use them to understand the customer better and the kind of uh, life that they live and uh, the tremendous amount of pressure that they under and stress and the, the day today is pretty stressful for, for anyone nowadays. So it's a very positive message. <laughs> I really yeah, like I think, it. I think also if people know more about these things, they can actually learn to differentiate or understand when people are using misusing these things on them whether it's in politics whether it's in media and and, and all these different areas i think it's it's kind of a shame that it's not taught in schools at this yeah. point it would make us smarter consumers also yeah for sure um priming yes uh, pretty critical we've heard about it uh before i think it's kind of it, it has entered marketing so, some time ago, but uh, can you explain it to our listeners in more detail? Well, the simple way to understand priming is setting the stage. 
in a subconscious way, meaning how do I influence the air around a certain action I want people to take uh, in order to get them in the right state for them to take it. So just as an example, if I have a horror movie coming out and I, start, and I create this air in the theater before people enter the movie of spooky and, and, and a bit scary, um, I start priming them, I start preparing them for what's coming and getting them into the right state. Because eventually a lot of what we do is we need to get the person to be in the right state of mind for us to, to get them to take the action that we want. So if, if I am selling a meditation product right now and I'm pissing people off and showing messages jumping and getting them stressed, it's not necessarily what's going to get them to buy the product. And it's not that I'm saying stress, 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 but I'm creating that air. And that's priming. And, and that's the effect that it does on, has on people. By the way, every, this is just natural effect of human beings. When you go to nature, it has a sort of priming effect towards you. It mm -hmm. enters you into a different state of mind. If you're walking in a busy street, it primes you um, into a certain state of mind. Uh, hectic workplaces prime people into that state of mind. It's a subconscious process that, again, has to do a lot with our survival and adaptability to a situation. Yeah, so online, it has to do with your imagery. It has to do with the feel of your website. It has to do with cognitive ease. How, how does a person, um, how does the brain react to what he's seeing in the website? Beyond the words, beyond the logic. And it's been proven many, many times. These things have huge, huge effects on people. Uh, and it's been tested um, in laboratories and you know and you can read about there's a wonderful book called, called thinking fast and slow uh, which has become kind of this bible lately for marketers and it's uh it's a long read but it's an amazing one yeah and, and you can learn a lot about priming there yeah well, well worth it from daniel kahneman um, yes. there's many great thinkers that come from <laughs> from your country uh, Another uh, topic that you, you discussed many times with, with our team and, and how to kind of get better at this is, is uh, building cognitive ease. Uh, and it's, it's, it's crucial in the age of digital. Uh, what should we pay attention to there? So cognitive ease is kind of this fancy word, but eventually it means um, our brain's reaction, our immediate reaction to seeing um, messy things so or, or complex things so we as creatures um, as, as animals are programmed to save energy because again in nature before we had food everywhere you had to preserve energy it's called the law of energy preservance that means technically we're not wired to want to do complex tasks of course and this, it's become this thing, and, and I agree with it, in order to succeed in life, you have to get out of your comfort zone, right? You have to do stuff that stretch your limits. But the fact that we need to teach this, the fact that we need to push people to do that, and the fact that we call it a comfort zone means that our natural state as, as an animal is to actually preserve energy, okay? Now, how does this translate to cognitive ease on in, in what we do? If you've ever gotten 
an email or a message that was extremely long or saw an article on the web that was extremely long, not broken down into anything, just a huge amount of words, what's your automatic reaction to it? You don't want to read it, right? Um, and that's, your brain, that's not logical, that's not you're thinking, oh, this is so long, this will take me hours to read, because you can get the same article broken down, looks more neat, it's more easy on the brain, and you'll actually read it. So cognitive ease is about creating an easy flow in air to the marketing that you're doing or the sales that you're doing. Simplicity, and people react to that more, and less guards. The, the guard goes down and it's interesting to see because I think, again, if you, the best example for a company that does this is actually Apple. You go into their website, it's this clean white website, they focus you on the areas that they want, the imagery is very uh, crystal clear and simple and it just causes you to want to read and get into it. Unlike there's some websites you just go in and you don't even start because, you know, and, and, and that accounts for such a big a, a amount of bounce rate. I've, many times that I, I'm, for instance, kind of a skimmer, you know, I go into a website, this huge piece of text, I just, no, back. I want it broken down, seven steps, that's why it works. So cognitive ease is about making people's life easier and focusing on the areas that actually need to focus and cleaning the noise because we, we don't like complexity and we shun from it. So yeah. very important aspect of marketing. Yeah, that's, that's something that you notice with uh, sort of new marketers that enter into the field when they start, let's say, writing copy or creating um, the advertisement is just way too, too much at once and, and impossible to get through. Yeah, because we're taught in school that we need to be the smartest. So for instance, when you're writing um, in class, you get, you get graded by a teacher that grades you on certain criteria. So we, especially when we shift into copywriting, which copywriting is not about being the smartest in the room, using the biggest words. Um, a lot of time the adaptation is a bit hard because you're shifting from I want to be the smartest, sound the best, to I'm actually getting a message across, it needs to be simple and to the point. A good trick or technique to use when you're writing copy in order to see if it's actually something that's, that's resonating is reading it out loud. I cannot, and that's what I do a lot of times when I want to critique some work, I'll just read the sentence out loud. Sometimes it's so long that I have to take a breath in between. So eventually, eventually Copywriting is about conversational, um, it's about uh, conversational language and not about literature and writing poems and so on. And once you can, and again, it's also, it, it ties exactly to cognitive ease. Big words, complex ideas, we don't have time for that these days. We, we need the message to go across, we need it to touch our emotions. We need to get the value that we want. We don't need to say, oh my God, this is the smartest person I've seen so far. So that's a good tip. Just read it aloud. You'll see in a second if it's something that makes sense or doesn't. Um, all right. So if you are a marketer and uh, you want to start taking this very seriously, where should you start um, looking? What, what rocks do you need to lift to, to find the uh, errors? So there isn't one right place and there's 
hundreds of different models that talk about the same thing. So if you decide, you can study neuro linguistic programming, NLP, and that will give you a sort of angle from one side. You can study evolutionary psychology, it will give you a different angle, more from the mammalian, reptilian. Eventually it comes down to actually sitting and learning. And it's not about going to class necessarily, I didn't do it that way, but it's about committing to constantly learn more and more. And it's learning and applying, because if you don't apply it, you're just getting more knowledge and more knowledge and you can't differentiate what's, what's real, what's not, what makes sense, what doesn't work. So I don't have necessarily um, method of saying you need to do this, this, and this. I think, like I said, if you understand the basics and you really learn to understand the logic behind them, then the rest kind of falls into place because, like I said, I've been doing marketing for a long time. Everything has changed since I started, yet the essence of what I'm talking here has not changed and will probably not change in the next hundred years, hopefully. <laughs> unless we start engineering our brains differently, which could happen, and then this becomes obsolete. But again, for 100,000 years, it's been that way. Uh, if you understand this, and, and, and this doesn't only apply to marketing, this applies to your personal relationships with people. It can assist you in your management skills to understand how to build rapport, to understand what makes people tick, what motivates people, another aspect that worth talking about. So, start learning. The information is out there. We even posted, uh, I, I recommended like 11 books or 10 books. Uh, right. Most of the influential marketers have become, have started to, to talk about these things more and more. Um, there's just write best books on influence in Google and start learning. Just start learning and apply it. Start learning and apply it. And then you'll start seeing also where you're more attracted to because uh, if you're writing ads, it's one aspect. If you're doing SEO, it's one aspect. If you're doing social media, it's a bit different also. But again, the basics are always the same and they don't change and you can study it for a lifetime. I keep, I, I continue studying all the time and every year I'm like, ah, I was so dumb back then. And if you're not looking backwards every month and saying, I knew nothing back then, then you're not not progressing really. Yeah. Does this reflect somewhere in your um, somewhere particular in your business if you're not paying attention to this, or is it just like overall? You know, the results are just not not there. I think it's overall. I, I don't see an area in in business that it doesn't apply to. Uh, can't. I'm not a programmer for, mm. to, to say that it. But I think again, if you work with people around you, this matters. This is more than just marketing. This is understanding the most important thing in life, which is who we are, you know? And it goes very deep and it can go move into even more, let's call it spiritual realms. But if we're talking about more marketing and business, mm -hmm. it's critical. I've used it in sales. I've used it more in relationships. I use this knowledge in, in the way I speak, the way I communicate with employees, the, everything, the way I write messaging, the way I run businesses, everything. All right. Uh, well, we're going to be sure to include the list uh, of the top books that you mentioned uh, in this podcast uh, description. It's a really valuable list, uh, I think. And uh, uh, I think there's so much more to explore in this topic. It, it goes uh, very deep. But of course, we can't cover everything here. So I'm sure we're going to uh, get you back on the podcast and, and talk about this uh, again.
Um, thank you so much for, for sharing this. It was very insightful for me personally. Thank you for so, having me. Thank you. Thank you.